Hi everyone, just wanted to let everybody know that today we're going to be discussing gun violence. So if that is something that doesn't create the best feelings for you, skip this episode and find another one to listen to. Thanks all. You're listening to In the Open, a Mental Health America podcast, a space where we explore mental health and navigate the challenges of life through honest and candid conversation. Hi everyone, it's America. I'm back for another session of In the Open. Teresa isn't here with me, but I have a wonderful guest with us, with Brenda. Say hi, Brenda. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Brenda, tell the folks out there a little bit about yourself and what you do. Well, I am a survivor of gun violence. I lost my son, Kenneth, to gun violence. And since then, I have been an activist on the journey of trauma and trauma-informed care, as well as an activist as a senior fellow for Every Town's Survivor Network and um, chapter lead for Illinois with Moms Demand Action, co-chapter lead. Thank you so much, Brenda, for joining us. So today, following up with um, the conversation we've been having throughout the last few weeks, we are going to dig into a conversation about feeling unsafe and afraid of gun violence. And I think it's important to also note that the day that this is released is going to be a year since the tragedy at Uvalde, which is a very sad thing to think about, but something that has to, I think, continue to be talked about. So we bring attention to the issues that exist when folks are bombarded with trauma in their neighborhoods and in their lives. So Brenda, tell us a little bit about Every Town so that people are familiar with that organization. Every Town is an organization along with Mom's Demand Action. Mom's Demand Action was started in the kitchen of Shannon Watts' home after Sandy Hook which deployed an army of 500 at that time, whereas now every time Survivor Network and Moms Demand Action is 10 million strong in terms of a volunteer army against gun violence. I am a senior fellow with Every Town, which means that I am a survivor and I am a spokesperson that is able to speak to the issues. One of the things that I had done was to kind of go with my passion, which is trauma, uh, because of the impact of trauma on my life. Thank you so much, Brenda. You know, I think the conversation that we're going to have today around fearing gun violence has become something that we can't avoid when we're really thinking about feeling safe. And I don't know, based on your experience and the fact that you lost your son, if this was related, you know, this feeling of feeling unsafe in your neighborhood was something that kind of was apparent or something that you had to really consider in your neighborhood. Could you talk a little bit about what your experience was like in your in your neighborhood and where you grew up and where you raised your son? Well, I think there's two different variables for me. I was raised on the south side of Chicago and um, my mother lost um, my brother on the south side of Chicago to gun violence. I remember being a young working mother that had a son, which is the one that ended up being killed, who would leave from the grammar school and have to pass a liquor store. I worked downtown. I did not want my son to have to walk home past the liquor store 
to get home. And so we kind of moved further south of the city in order to uh, be able to have access and make sure that supposedly the kids were safe. But as you see, and a good friend of mine, um, Valley, who's also a survivor, always makes the statement, gun violence knows no zip code. So you're not safe anywhere that you think that you are. So I think that that's something that's really key and critical to the conversation. None of us are safe. Yeah, I think that's a that's a space where many times we we start the conversation, right, where we believe that similarly to you, that by going into a safer area, that bad things won't happen, that somehow we're insulated from that. But the reality is that and more so today than ever. Yes. Gun violence is showing up everywhere. Everywhere. And, you know, I think about it. You mentioned Uvalde. And I can't help but to think about, you know, looking at the mother and witnessing her state, how she sent her little girl to school. And then the only way that um, she was identified was by the gym shoes that she sent her to school in. And that speaks volumes to all of us because it's innocence loss. And beyond that, it's potential loss. If you look at the little kids that are on the south and west side of Chicago, same thing. How can you be safe when you're not safe going to school? You're not safe in your bed. So it speaks to uh, the the reality. Am I safe? I lost my son a week after his brother was sent for his third tour of duty overseas, only to be brought back a week later to bury his brother in a free country. I have grandsons. I immediately begin to think, how can I cover them? How can I protect them? There's a fear every time my grandsons or my nephews or any male more so, but it's even happening to the female population as well. But it was primarily the male population. I fear where they venture into. And most times I don't want to know where they go because I don't want to lose sleep trying to figure out how to save them. Yeah, I can imagine how tough that is. And, you know, I have very similar thoughts around the folks in my family and and exploring, kind of shutting it, shutting that idea down, right? Because it can be um, even more traumatic to continuously think about of the unknown, really, that's, that's what it is, right? And, you know, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what it was like when you were growing up, if you had feelings of a feeling unsafe in your neighborhood, and and how that felt to you, and then how that transition was for you, moving from where you were in Chicago to, you know, a quote, unquote, safe area. What was that like for you? I lived on the south side of Chicago. I lived in a community that was stable, a middle-class community, as stable as you wanted to see, but people still get in trouble. And that was just when the gang population started in Chicago. And I can remember when there was a shift and people were there that were in gangs. And I was going up to the playground as a 13-year-old girl playing with the playing tennis and doing the things, playing on the playground like 
um, 13 year old do playing with your girlfriends, you know, um, looking at guys because you're not supposed to look at guys. And so I was doing the things that teenagers do. And there were times that people from other areas would come through there and would shoot into the playground. Now you're talking about in the 70s, but that was more so a rarity than it is what we see now, which is everyday gun violence. So I had already experienced that. And then with the loss of my brother, it was even more complicated because I had to look at the impact of that on my mother. I didn't think that my mom would make it through it, you know, because that was her firstborn that she lost. And then to fast forward and to lose her firstborn grandson, she just could not handle it. And she willed herself out of here. So she didn't make it through that one. That's so tough, Brenda. How old were you when, when your brother passed away? I was 25 when my brother passed away because he was 27. And the I have so many ironies in my life. Uh, we buried him one day and my daughter was born the next day. Wow. So you were pregnant yes. when that happened? Full term. Wow. That's... Yes, and they were trying to take me. And I didn't want to go until, you know, I buried my brother. Mm-hmm. That's a lot that you had to carry even back then. And then be not only strong for yourself, your daughter, and then for also your mom, right? To yes. really be that support system for her while she lived through this experience, as well as carrying your own grief. Yes, exactly. And I never really had an opportunity to do that because I was the oldest daughter. Mm -hmm. And as the oldest daughter, you generally sit in a position of um, accountability or responsibility for the whole house because you're that extra set of hands for your mom or for your dad. And I had that level of responsibility. But, you know, my mother was a fighter and she fought her way through it. It wasn't easy. And I can, to this day, remember the expression on her face when I came to the hospital, I knew my brother was gone, you know, by the devastation on her face and the tears coming out of her eyes. And um, it wasn't an easy process for her. Yeah, I think death and grief are complicated by so many factors, but even more so when somebody is taken from you so abruptly. And then therapy was not something that in our community that we really reached out to. It was like, if God and I can't do it, then it can't be done. So therapy was not really necessarily an option for her. And at the point that I lost my son in 2005, the trauma, trauma and care resources, or, you know, the really the opportunity to embrace therapy because you are broken and you are fragile and um, you need to be fixed just as if you broke a leg or something like that, that was not there for me. Well, I think, you know, one of the things that you're referencing is something that in many communities, we are often faced with the reality of trying to find some support. And sometimes the systems of support that are kind of out there for us, our communities don't connect with it, right? They don't see how that is not only accessible to them, 
but then is allowed as an outlet. And I think as a minister, I had to learn to be vulnerable to say, no, I'm not through with God. You know, I am redirecting my energy because I need to be fixed and I can't help anybody else until I actually help myself. You know, I'm experiencing the same things that other people are experiencing. I think that is one of the most powerful things in what you're sharing, the recognition that help is needed and and finding that support in some way. I think a lot of the conversation that exists around how our environments impact our mental health and our overall well-being oftentimes forego, like, yes, the neighborhood is really important where you're growing up. The fact that you at the earlier part of our conversation mentioned, for instance, a liquor store and having to avoid that, wanting to avoid that because you knew it was something that was troublesome. Yes. Right. And as a child, when you're navigating these spaces, you learn these skills to avoid as much as you can, right? Whether your parents are telling you, you have to walk around the neighborhood this certain way to avoid this troubled area. There are things that are being kind of ingrained in us so that we keep ourselves safe. But that doesn't mean also that it doesn't weigh on us to have to navigate that. And where we are now today in our culture and our society, the conversation keeps coming up because these shootings continue to happen. This gun violence continues to persist, um, not only in in the mass violence that we see, but also in gang violence, domestic violence situations as well. And... I don't know if, if through your work and in speaking with others in the community where you can go and find help when you feel like you did in the earlier part of your recovery and saying, I don't really need help, right? Where do I go? And then you have to come to that idea of saying, I do need help. I, I need some support here. So where can people find that community? You know, in the brown and black community, it's really difficult to find that level of care, which is one of the reasons that, you know, with every town survivor network, they gave me a voice and a platform. And I began to, you know, identify the fact that we have experienced trauma. One isolated incident has thrown all of our systems into a traumatic state. And so it's not a normal grief process. Uh, is trauma, is complicated grief. And we have to identify with that and put people in the right bucket. And so to have therapists that are able to deal with the pain that comes along with this type of grief, to have faith communities that are able to speak to and to help direct and guide um, towards, you know, restoration and healing from a grief process that runs so deep um, is very difficult. And so there's a lot of support, grief support systems out there. And what I tell people is that although I'm a grief support facilitator, um, I am not a licensed professional, um, such as a psychiatrist or you know a psychologist. And I'm aware enough, and others have to be aware enough that you know you have to lose the God syndrome. And you have to identify and say, you need therapy. You need more than what I can offer you. I can offer you support 
but I also recommend that you see a professional therapist, uh, be a psychologist or psychiatrist or both, but to seek help for yourselves. One of the things that I say is healing is possible, but you've got to do the work and the work is on yourself. Just like a doctor gives you a recommended treatment plan. This too is your recommended treatment plan. Yeah, I, there's so much there. The thing that sticks out to me is the fact that I think therapy and, and kind of uh, professional intervention, professional support is definitely an option for folks. But I, I don't want to take away from the, the power that exists in the fact that you have a community through the network of folks that you're already communicating with. And in that you're working with peers, right? Others that have your lived experience that oftentimes that's a place where we struggle when we're trying to find help because, you know, immediately we're like, well, nobody knows what this feels like. And in, in your stead, you actually have that. You found others. I have found others. And finding those others, I tell you, um, Every Town Survivor Network gave me a platform. But beyond that, you know, I was in such an isolated place. And right in that moment that I found them, um, I was in transition in terms of my trauma and complicated grief in my healing process. And I had to get out the house. I had to learn how to live again. I had to learn to invite people into my world. Every town gave me that. Walking in the room with other moms who have gone through this and dads, because we do have some men that aren't afraid to be mothers. I learned to see that it wasn't just me. I remember being in a conference and one of the panelists said that she had lost her cognitive memory. And I that happened to me. And I began to cry because I thought it was just me. And when I realized that it's not just me and I'm validated um, by that, I didn't know my phone number. I didn't know one of my little cousins that I've been with him since birth. I sat through a whole church service not knowing his name until afterward. And I asked my cousin, I don't know his name. She knew my struggle. And so when I told her she gave me his name, it stayed, but it had to be placed back into my memory. Every town gave me a voice. The sisters and the family that I have connected with, which is my support group, from across the country. It's not just limited to Illinois. I can call on people across the country and say, this is how I feel. I need a laugh. What are you, what are you doing? You know, and I'm validated. I need not tell anybody how I feel because they already know. We come from a place of knowing. And um, my support group is huge. It's just like they say, it takes a village. My village is huge. That is something that I think brings the most value to any conversation where we can really come from a place of shared experience. It doesn't have to be exactly the same, but the shared grief, the, the shared understanding that I don't even have the words to tell you what I feel. And that I think is replicated across different communities, not only in, um, in spaces where you may be a survivor of gun violence, but in all of these different spaces and just living with depression as a result of these issues or navigating the fact that you as yourself struggle in managing the fear for yourself, for your children. And when you think about 
the younger kids and what their experience is now and everything from the younger all through you really, you know, the lifespan, this undue fear that is now just part of our lived experience, which shouldn't be right. In my opinion, it shouldn't be, but it is, there is a need to be able to voice it, communicate that, and then also prepare ourselves to be able to talk to our kids and let them know what you're feeling about feeling worried and unsafe is normal, but we can't let that fear overpower us. Yeah. And you know what? I, I related back to a recent incident and it probably did overpower me that day, but my daughter let my grandson, who is 18, go into a community that is very unsafe. And if they don't know you in that community, um, you're a target. And my daughter has been raised in in the suburban area for the most part. So she has no clue about the street smart and to understand that. And when I found out where he was and that he drove there, we got carjacking. We got um, all of these things. You're unknown in the community. You're a target. I go, "Are are you kidding me? I'm like, do not let him go there. He's not familiar with that. And um, I, I just absolutely lost it. And then I realized I had to come back to myself. And I don't know how you come back to yourself. I don't know how you do that, you know, because it's unreasonable. But yet the reality of it is for some children, this is every day. And their parents are afraid every day mm-hmm. of sending their kids out the door. You know, let's not school, just out yeah. the door. Either way you look at it, the dynamics are more than any of us can handle. And it goes back to what my friend says. It knows no zip code. Yeah, I think out of, out of all of this, you know, what's important and in everything that you've referenced, is the power that we have to take on to be able to navigate through these experiences. Whether you are a survivor of gun violence or you're not and you're fearful of what that could look like, there are so many emotions and complex emotions, nothing is simple within that conversation, that it's important for us to be able to acknowledge those feelings so that we can figure out how we can feel better because all of that can then exa- be exacerbated, right? And then cause different aspects of our lives kind of to falter. So yes. I don't know, Brenda, if you have any kind of closing thoughts for what you think people can do, whether they are survivors or are fearful um, about gun violence, what can they do to help themselves and their communities? I think self-care is very important in this day. And I do use concepts of self-care. Um, I use meditation. Uh, I take the opportunity when I find myself in the midst of conflict or chaos to pause and take a moment with myself, be present in the moment for me. Because if I'm unbalanced and I'm not okay, I can't be okay. We can't be okay for anybody else. And I think the other thing for us is that um, people say that you're strong. 
we're not strong. We had no other choice, but we're resilient. And to take the power of that resilience in regardless to what our eyes see, we've lived through our worst day. So my worst day is behind me. I choose to live. Every day I wake up, you know, I wake up with two emotions. One wants to cry. The other one wants to seek the joy that's in front of me. And every day I have to choose because I navigate between those two emotions. No, I don't want to cry. Yes, I do want to live. Yes, I do want to find joy. And I want to continue to move forward. I ask God, don't change me and how I view the world. You know, allow me to continue to see the good in the world. So I continue in spite of what my eyes may see to hope for the reality that can be. And I tell people all the time, I choose to live. I didn't die with Kenneth and I'm not going to let life or this world dictate to me where I can and cannot go. And that's still my mantra. Thank you so much, Brenda. If people want to learn a little bit more about Everytown, where can they go visit? They can um, actually text and we send information directly to them. 64433-READY and um, fill out the information real quick, real easy form. We'll be getting back to them. And if they're survivors, we will have a survivor to contact, but we will make sure that they're included in our mailing list and uh, we will be reaching out to them. And we are also on Facebook as well. So they can, you know, reach us in any one of those in Google. We come up right away. Thank you, Brenda. Everybody, we're going to be connecting again next week. I really appreciate you sharing your experience with us, Brenda. And um, we'll be logging off. And I hope everyone keeps fighting in the open. 